God, thank you so much for who you are and for all that you're doing in our midst. God, we are excited once again to be here, to be able to gather together, to be able to dive into your word, to be able to sing your praises. Uh, God, we just pray as we do every week that you would speak through me this morning, uh, that the words that come out of my mouth would be your words for your people on your day, God. We are here to hear from you, God, and we, uh, we just we want to leave this place knowing that we have met with you this morning. God, I pray that you would uh, just be in our midst this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we are once again in week 13 of our Word of God series. Uh, I wasn't quite sure when I started how long this series was going to go. Uh, but I think we've still got a few weeks as we kind of gather and go through the New Testament and figure out some of the major themes and pieces that we need to understand there this morning. Uh, but it has been just, it's been a good journey so far. Uh, you know, it's been a journey through Scripture. We've gone from God's perfect creation in Genesis 1 and 2 to sin entering the picture in Genesis 3. Uh, and we've gone from, like we've said, these two movements, this point A to point B. We're in the midst of this movement from point B to point A, where sin comes into the picture, but going back to Revelation 22, where everything is perfect again, right? Everything is as it should be in, in Revelation 22. And so, uh, you know, that's, we've seen kind of on this movement, we've seen the presence of God be with his people in different ways. Uh, we've seen the kingdom of God established in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've seen the promises that God has made and kept as we have read. Uh, and I think so far we've done just a really good job just kind of going through scripture. We're taking it nice and slow, just kind of going through the themes and pieces that we need to understand as we do what we said in January to, to learn and follow scripture both personally and in community. Uh, today, we're going to kind of continue here. We're going to actually talk sort of about like a movement within the movement. Right, we've seen this movement between point B to point, going back to point A, uh, and we're going to see this this movement within the movement, and we have this this idea and this this theme of the people of God. We're going to talk about the people who are the people of God, because in the Old Testament, the people of God was a very specific people. Right, you go to Genesis twelve, thirteen, fifteen, and you remember the promises to Abraham that we talked about back in the beginning of this series. They, he was going to have descendants, and they were going to be as numerous as the stand, as numerous as the stars, and they were going to inherit this land, which we now know as the promised land. We have seen their journey into the promised land. Uh, we have followed them as they have gone there. We have seen the the kingdom established. This this people people. The people of God is a very specific people. Uh, you know, we remember in Exodus chapter 19, there's this, uh, there's this passage, you know, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Did you catch that last part? These are the words you're to speak to who? To the Israelites. The people of God are a very specific people in the Old Testament. It is the Israelites. But as we get to the New Testament, things begin to look a little different. They begin to feel a little bit different. The people of God uh, just begins to, it's, it's just different. I mean, last week we looked at, in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen was stoned, and he essentially, remember, he basically just did my whole series in a chapter, uh, you know, from Abraham all the way up to Jesus, and just kind of called them out for not following Jesus, uh, and not believing he was who he says he was. Uh, so we have all of this happening, but at the end of that, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, 
Remember, they take Stephen out of the Sanhedrin, which is the Supreme Court at the time, uh, and they stone him. And as they're stoning him, they lay their coats by a man named Saul. Saul is a very important person to know as we read through the New Testament because Saul does not stay Saul. Saul becomes Paul. He wrote over half of our New Testament. Saul is, and Paul are, the, are we need to know who Paul is. Uh, and because Paul's story actually really informs us into who the people of God are. Uh, even just Saul's conversion story is just an amazing story. We're going to read that this morning. If you want to go to Acts chapter 9 with me. Acts chapter 9, uh, we, we left off last week in Acts chapter 7. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 just for a, a little bit this morning because I want to read this conversion experience that Saul had. Um, and here's where we'll start at verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Remember, he was, he was going after the Christians. He wanted them jailed and killed if possible. He wanted all the people who followed Christ to have the same end as Christ. Right? So he was, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called believers then, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and <laughs> say that 10 times fast. Uh, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Did you catch what God, Jesus, says, it's in red letters in there, says to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Here we have a new people group that we haven't talked about yet. Who are the Gentiles? Gentiles is kind of a generic word used in scripture. It means people or nations, right? So in, in, in the Bible, whenever you see the word Gentiles, you can basically kind of boil this down to people who are not Jews. If I want to just just 
kind of level down even further there, when you see the word Gentiles, it means everyone else. Right? This, is, this is what Scripture is saying here. This is what God is saying about Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to everyone else, to all of their kings and to Israel. Right? He's basically saying, like, look, this is now for, for everyone. Right? The, the new people that were introduced here is you can see that God's plan has expanded. Right? No longer is, is God's people, the people of God, just this specific certain people, Abraham's descendants. Instead, this is for everyone. Right? This is for anyone and everyone that has said yes to Jesus. In fact, this is why we read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says this, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then I want you to hear this. He says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you belong to Christ, you are now Abraham's seed. Remember what that even means. Right, we've gone through the whole Old Testament, talked about the descendants of Abraham being the people of God, and now you don't have to be a blood descendant of Abraham. If you belong to Christ, you are part of this promise. You are part of what God is doing. You are part of the people of God. You're, you're, you're part of this. Paul, remember Saul, who's writing this, goes on to say this in chapter 4, but when the set time had fully come, in verse 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Since you are God's child, you are an heir. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are now God's child. You are now an heir to the promise. You are now part of the people of God. There's this new kind of language that we see here, though, because we don't see God talking about his people anymore. What we see is God adopting people into his family. We see this, this kind of new phrase that we see in Scripture, the family of God. Right? We, see, we see this kind of new iteration of who God's people is. We're talking about being in the family of God, being adopted into the family, being grafted into the family of God. And this is the best part about this whole thing, is there is no other qualifiers to being part of the people of God other than the fact that you have said yes to Jesus. And as you say yes to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, and you are a child of God. You are part of the family of God. You are a part of the people of God. And this begins to become our new identity. This is what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 28, when he's talking about there's no more Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. I mean, he's taken down all sorts of barriers here. I mean, he's taken down racial barriers between Jews and Gentiles. He's taken down like social barriers between slave and free. He's taking down gender barriers between male and female. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, you can be part of the family of God. You can be a part of the people of God. We are one. Now, there's another name that we give this people, this family of God that we see in the New Testament, and it's going to be all over the rest of the New Testament. It's called 
the church. It's called the church. This is the people of God. That's the name that we give this family. It encapsulates everything. It means that all are welcome. It means there are no barriers to coming in. It means that, that we are one and we follow Christ. We are the church. We are the people of God. When Jesus left this earth, we talked about that just a few weeks ago. When Jesus left this earth, he left one group in his place to carry on his mission. And that was the church. It was us. It was the people of God. You know, the early church, while it definitely had some issues in some areas, like it, it, it understood that, that part of that. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. We are one. That unity was so important. Yeah, we're going to actually go back to a passage that we go back to pretty often here, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. Um, And I think it just gives us a little glimpse into how the church, how the people of God, how the family of God conducted itself. We read this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I know, I know (laughs) that we talk about this passage a lot here at this church uh, because this is how we operate. Uh, we, we see in Acts chapter 2 a church that connects and grows and serves, and that is what we are all about here. But I want you to see this. What we're, I want us just to, to see this in Acts, and I think you will see it as we continue to read through the New Testament, uh, just, just what the early church was devoted to. That's what I want to just focus on for a second. What were they devoted to? Well, first of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what, was the, what were the apostles' teaching? Well, we see, we're going to go over a little bit next week about the Great Commission. Uh, And uh, basically the Great Commission is this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching everything that Jesus had taught them. They were passing passing along all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom that Jesus had given them over the last few years as they followed Jesus. They were were passing along Jesus. Then they were devoted to these teachings. The the church was devoted to these teachings of Jesus. They they were emphasizing everything that happened in Christ and, and the significance of those events. They were teaching Jesus. They were devoted to the teachings of Jesus. They were also devoted to the fellowship. Fellowship is kind of a word that we don't use so much anymore, uh, and in many words, many many people just just automatically think fellowship and food they go together, right? Uh, probably because a lot of times when we fellowship, we do so in the fellowship hall, and when we go in the fellowship hall together, there is I don't want to say always, but ninety five percent of the time there is food, right? Uh, you know, we, but fellowship is so much deeper than just eating together. Right? Fellowship means that they were, they were devoted to each other's lives. Right? They, they loved each other on a very deep, intimate level. They, they, they had each other in mind whenever they did anything. They just had the best in mind for every person they were with. They were invested in each other. They loved each other deeply. Right? It's so much deeper than just, just food. They shared their lives together. Now, why would they share their lives together? Because they knew that in Christ, 
they had everything in common. They knew in Christ, they took really seriously this idea that they were part of the family of God now. I mean, the early church, there's, there's all kinds of writings about just kind of thinking that the early church was so weird that because they were calling each other brother and sister. Why? What are they doing? You know, it's just such a, it's a weird people. That's what people would say about the early church. They're just, they're just that weirdo group over there who thinks they're family. And, but they took this seriously, that they were a child of God, that they were part of the family of God, and they invested in each other as, as if they really were family. They really, truly loved each other. They really, truly cared deeply about God and his mission, and so they joined together. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were also devoted to the breaking of bread. It talks about kind of gathering each other's homes, so we can assume that they were talking about, yes, they were devoted to, to eating together. But as they ate together, it was also in celebration of communion. This breaking of bread was talking about just remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, understanding and knowing that Jesus had died on the cross. And then as they ate, they remembered the body of Christ. And as they drank, they remembered the blood of Jesus Christ, and they were devoted to that sacrifice. They were, they were devoted, not only just to, to fellowship with each other, not only to fellowship, but to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to this, this reminder that Jesus was, was broken for them. Jesus bled for them. They were, they were devoted and they were proclaiming that the, the sacrifice of Jesus was central to their mission and their lives altogether. And they were devoted to the breaking of bread and lastly, they were devoted to prayer. Now, to say that the early church was devoted to prayer is probably one of the more understatements you can make about the early church. They were all about prayer, all about it. I mean, in Acts chapter 4, we, we were here just maybe last week or the week before. Remember, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember what happens in Acts chapter 4. The Holy Spirit comes on this group of people. What were they doing? What were they gathered to do? They were gathered praying. And as they were praying, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and they proclaim the gospel boldly. But prayer, prayer was, was huge in the early church. They would gather just for the sole purpose of prayer. They just wanted to pray together. They knew there was power in prayer. They knew they could gain their strength from prayer. They knew they could get their guidance from prayer. Prayer was so huge for them. They depended on prayer, and they were devoted to that prayer. And what begins to happen is you have this people, the church, the people of God, the family of God, however you want to say it now, right? They're devoted to these things. They're devoted to the fellowship. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. They're devoted to prayer. And what begins to happen in all of this is this group of people that it's called the church begins to do some just amazing things. People are healed, lives are saved, and God's glory was made known. You get just two pages later in Acts chapter 4, right after the passage that we read uh, last week about, you know, they prayed and they were given the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word of God boldly. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And do, you, do you see it? This church who was devoted to these things, 
devoted to the teaching, devoted to each other, devoted to the breaking of bread, this idea that this sacrifice means something for us, and they were devoted to prayer, they just begin to do some amazing things. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. That's, that's not just me like advertising. That's right in Scripture. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Like that's, that's what happens when the early church and when the church is devoted to those things. When we become the family of God and embrace this idea that we are the people of God and devote ourselves to it, and we make a difference. And here's the thing, the New Testament, as we continue to read the New Testament, we're going to see a lot of letters that are written to specific churches. And there is some encouragement in there, but we also realize that these early churches were far from perfect. And, and honestly, maybe that's encouragement too. <laughs> but we realize that they, they had a lot of work to do in these early churches. At Paul and some other writers, they're, they're calling these churches out for, for really not being fully devoted to these things. But what we see is this, I mean, in Galatia, the church is in danger of distorting the gospel. The church in Corinth had its own issues. In fact, we have two letters to them in our scripture, right? Like there, we realize that there's, there's some imperfect churches, but the, the mission and the corrections were always towards the same goal. Let's be devoted to these things. So here, well, here's the question. What can we take from this? What can we read? What are we going to see in the rest of the New Testament as we read? What can we take from what we're seeing here? And I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be a church that is also devoted to these things. I want to be a church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching. I mean, that's, that's literally what this series is about. This is the apostles' teaching. This is what they were sharing, and this is what they've written and shared for anyone who would come after them, right? We have the apostles' teaching. We need to be devoted to the word. We need to be devoted to this. We need to know it. We need to, to be in it. We need to, like I always say, we need to dive in, right? We need to dive into scripture and just get to know it on an intimate level. We need to be devoted to it. We need to, as we said in January, learn and follow scripture personally and in community, is what we need. We need to be devoted to the word, but we need to also be devoted to fellowship. We need to be devoted to each other. Invest in each other's lives. We need to connect, as we always say here at church, but we need to invest in other lives. We need to, and, and in a lot of ways, we've sort of taken this year off of, of this piece, uh, but we need, to, we need to get back at it. We need to get back at being devoted to one another. We need to get back at staying connected with each other. We need to be devoted to fellowship. We need to be devoted to the breaking of bread. And not only to the, to the act of communion, which has been sorely missed by me, and I'm sure you as well during this time, but we need to be just, just devoted to this sacrifice that it represents as well. That the body of Jesus was broken for us. That the blood of Jesus was shed for us. This sacrifice is for you and me and for everyone. It's, it's, as we read in the book of Acts, it's for the Gentiles, it's for literally everyone else. Right, this, this is who the sacrifice is for, but we need to be devoted to the sacrifice, we need to be devoted to prayer. We need to be devoted to our conversations with God, both personally and in community. This is a great time to plug for you our Wednesday morning prayer time that we have every single week. We do it on Zoom, uh, and uh, we just 
gather together and we pray over the needs of our church and us individually and we just we gather to pray about 30 45 minutes is about what we spend we just we just pray and I just want to invite you to that it's a great time just to to be devoted to prayer and but my hope and my prayer in all of this is that as we as we see throughout the rest of the New Testament we see a lot about the church we see a lot about the people of God the family of God we see a lot about all this stuff my prayer and my hope is that we can begin to, to take our cues from them. Because I know that, that our outcome will be their outcome. Right? If you read the, in the early church, what happens is that as they're devoted to these things, people are added to the family of God daily. People are being saved because of a church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. We need to be devoted to these things. You know, as you, as you move forward in your scripture reading this week, I don't know if you're reading the New Testament or still in the Old Testament, wherever you are in your reading, I would just encourage you to look for the church. Look for the people of God. Look at what they are doing. Look at how they're interacting with them, with like personally in their own circles, but also with the world around them. Look how they interact. Look how they, look how they operate. Uh, let's, let's pattern our, our lives and our church's life after the early church. So as you read the New Testament this week, or whenever you get to the New Testament, look for the church. Look for the church. Look for the people of God. Look for the family of God. There's all kinds of words that are used in the New Testament to talk about the people of God. But just, just look for it and realize that, look, this isn't, just, this isn't a new thing in the New Testament. This is, this is from the Old Testament, too. The, from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 12, we have a people of God. Really, from Genesis 1, we have people of God. But, I mean, after sin comes into the picture, Genesis 12, we have a new people of God. But in the New Testament, what happens is this, this people of God is expanded. It's anyone and everyone. And as we are a child of God, again, in Galatians chapter 3, as you, as you are a child of God, you are an heir. You are Abraham's seed. You are now a part of this promise. You are now a part of the people of God. Be, be on the lookout for, for the church. Look for how it moves, how it breathes, how it acts in the world. And uh, I promise when you're looking for it, you'll see it. There's a lot there. So let me say a word of prayer this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you for everything that you have done in our lives to guide us and direct us. And God, we're just, uh, we're just thankful for, for all that you do in and through us. And God, we're thankful for the church. We're thankful for this body of believers that you have, have put here and sent on a mission, God. And we are just, uh, God, we just pray that we, would, uh, that we would live our lives knowingly and purposefully as the people of God. Will we live intentional lives, knowing that what we do here matters? That as we are devoted to, to these things as the early church was, that we can make a huge difference wherever we are. And so God, I just pray that you would just, just push us and guide us and shape us to be the people that you are calling us to be, individually and as a community. God, I pray as we go forward from this place that you would, uh, you would guide and direct and be with us this morning or this week that you would be in our homes and our workplaces, 
grocery stores, cars, wherever we may be, that you would give us the courage to be the people that you're calling us to be this week, that you would give us the, the confidence and this identity of being the people of God. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And uh, before we leave, I'll just want to say a blessing over you. And again, I'll just say before I do this that if, if you want to hang out, you're more than welcome to do so. Just do so outside and uh, keep your distance and have your mask on. But let me say a word of blessing over you. May our God, God of grace and truth, may he go ahead of you and with you this week and push you and guide you to be the person he is calling you to be. Go in grace, go in power this week. And as you do so, may you make a difference where you may find yourself. May your life look more and more like Jesus every single day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. I appreciate it. I'll see you next week.